Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Zacks. Ethan, we are here for Dominari United, and I have two things that I would like to tell you. One, a proclamation, and two, a confession. Okay, I'm ready for him. All right, proclamation, I think this format is an all-timer. And I know it's not, like, cool to say that three days into the format, but I knew with Ikoria. And I know with Dominaria United, I know a good format when I see it. And this format is a banger out of banger. I, I think I think I'm I'm ready to agree with you three days into the set here. My confession. Here's how much I love this format. Mm-hmm. I took a peek voluntarily at the 17 lands data for about a minute. And then I felt kind of gross and I closed it. <laughs> <laughs> I also looked at the 17 lands data on Friday and was largely confounded by it. I mean, obviously, small sample size, just a day in. And then I was relieved to see some Twitter takes from our dear friend Carl, aka 2DuckCubed on Twitter, who was on our show last year, um, to, to talk us off the ledge about data. And uh, he was also like, I think this is not a great format to look at the data. And I agree. I mean, my day one take, or maybe it was day zero take, was people who rely on tier lists are going to have a tough time with this set. because. And I messaged that to you, and you were like, yep, people are going to have to learn how to cook. Like your tier lists get thrown out the window as early as pack one, pick two. And that's exactly what we were talking about in the preview episode. We were like, that's the set we like. And I think that's the set we have on our hands right now. Yeah, this format is going to be extremely complex. And the drafts are the most complex I've ever been. I don't know. I I cannot wait to talk to you about this format. (laughs) Yeah. So confession from me and and from you, I think, to our listeners is that Ben and I have not talked about the set at all. I've seen Ben's aggressively flaming hot takes on Twitter, which has been (laughs) awesome. I have... I have not I have only seen in discord that Ben has been streaming basically every waking hour he can since the set has come out. But I haven't gotten to watch any of his stream because I've been on vacation. But Ben, you know, like they say, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does not make a sound? I'm going to tell you if a content creator goes on vacation, but he's playing magic and writing articles and recording a podcast. Is it really vacation? You know, is it really vacation? I mean, yeah. you're having a it good time in Seattle. It is. I'm, ha- I'm having a great time in Seattle. I'm having a great time visiting my family and seeing a bunch of nature and also having a great time playing a bunch of Dominaria United. So all of our takes are going to be fresh. We even resisted any kind of like pre episode chat. We were like, we're, we're blowing it. We don't want to waste any good takes for the podcast. So we're going to get everything fresh in your ears today. And we're going to be getting all of our initial format thoughts into your ears as quickly and efficiently as possible. A few housekeeping things to take care of before we do that. First things first, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is the place to go to give back to the show if you so choose. We got an incredible, beautiful, heartwarming message from one of our patrons yesterday that just like made my week. Someone who said, hey, I don't have time that much to uh, prep for formats these days. And I got to go to my pre-release and I 3 0 and it was because of the content that you guys put out and how excited you were about it. And I was just like, that's why we do what we do. It was great to see that. And I have to say, I'm just going to let the patrons that we have this week speak for the content and speak for what you can get by giving back to the show by announcing our whopping amount of patrons. So Ben, I'm going to ask you to join me in helping to welcome in Francis, Jamie, Kelts, Tom, Andrew, Neil, Mistake Not, Ryan, Tyler N., Tyler Draws, Mark, Michelle, Thomas, Roston, Flower Ditch, Devontoy, Ross, Jonathan, John, Jack, Daniel, Nate, Patrick, Newton, Matt, Dan, Curtis, Christopher, Lionel, Zach, Njord, and Matthew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. I don't get to ask Ben this very much, but Ben, 
What do you think about that? Holy patrons, Batman. There it is. Yeah, there it is. I mean, I think that speaks for itself. These folks know what's up. You should too. The Discord is the place to be to get in on early format discussions. It's the best place on the internet in my mind for 24-7 limited tech support. If you want in on that, Patreon is the place to go. And speaks to this format. This format is a banger, and it's going to make you better at magic. And I think that Discord is the best place to do that. And these folks know what's up. You should get in on the action, too. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball. ChannelFireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Unless you're going to TCG Player, which is also a great place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. They're one and the same now. If you haven't heard the news, TCG Player bought Channel Fireball. And whether you're going to either store to pick up some Dominator United sealed and singles, you can use code LOL to do that over at Channel Fireball. We're still waiting on a code for TCG Player. But honestly, the best bang for your buck right now, I think, is CFB pro me yeah. you alex are putting out a boatload of articles like we made a concerted effort to front load articles for dominaria united and make them very accessible to read and then go do something in the format and have actionable advice from those articles so if you're not on cfb pro i would highly recommend getting on there and checking out those articles if you are make sure you give them a read because they will give you some level up action about dominaria united and again for anything that you're doing over at channel fireball please use code lol all caps to let them know that we sent you over there and one other small little push towards cfb pro i think there's some folks out there who are like hey i consume a bunch of content i watch these guys streams i listen to their podcast every week i'm probably not going to get much from the limited content over at CFP Pro. I think that's wrong. I know that I and I know that you guys are making a concerted effort to put not only put out this front loaded content, but to make sure it's unique. You know, there is content that is better suited towards a written format than an audio format or a streaming video format. And I think we are doing that with those articles. And so I would highly encourage you if you're interested in purchasing product, obviously, it's a no brainer because you get that store credit back. Um, But if you're just interested in getting more limited content, more diverse limited content uh, into your brain, CFP Pro is the place to do it. And it's different. Sometimes you've only got three minutes to read an article and boom, you've got some magic content right there at your fingertips. All right. So I'm going to let Ben mostly drive the bus here today. I'm going to pepper in some of my thoughts. I'm going to maybe tee up some questions for him because I don't think in the lifetime of our doing the show together in the last five years, I've seen you this excited about a format. This is how excited I was about Double Masters 2022, but we just couldn't talk about it. So I am beyond stoked to talk about Dominaria United with you. All right, so let's get into some big picture stuff. Then we'll get into some common re-rankings discussions. And then we'll get into some more card specifics later on. So first, format chat to kick things off. What's going on with you? I think this format is incredible. So several things stand out to me. One, there were a lot of commons that shifted drastically in pick orders for me. Like once I started playing with the cards and figured some stuff out about the format. And we'll get into all that a little bit later in the episode. But more than anything that stood out to me about this format is the ability during the draft for your pick orders to shift and the sheer amount of decision trees that branch out from every pick you make. Have you had similar experiences? I have absolutely had similar experiences. I think this is going to be a really tough puzzle for us to not solve is not the right word. And solve has also been a word thrown around in the Twitter discourse about limited in general. So I don't want to use that lightly. Um, But for us to teach, educate, yeah, for us to package neatly for our listeners, I think it's going to be a fun challenge for us. And I think it's also going to really highlight what one of the things I love about doing the show with you is that you and I have pretty different approaches to formats in the beginning and also have pretty different 
approaches to what we like to do in draft. I really like to explore a lot of different paths, and you really like to find the thing that is going to win the most often. And I think those two approaches appeal to a wide range of people, and I think us giving those two different perspectives is going to be helpful. So I think when we do, in the future episodes, do some roundtable discussions, we're often going to have different cards that we highlight. And it's going to be like, well, you could do this if you're doing XYZ to follow, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a lot of different paths you can go down. And I think you and I are going to be well suited in our dynamic to highlight those. Yes, absolutely. I would say the other thing that sticks out to me about this format is if you cube a lot and are familiar with cube, I think you're going to be much more comfortable in this format. This is, I think, outside of a master's style set, the closest to cube a regular limited format has ever felt to me. And I think if you are on the fence about getting into cube, maybe this format will push you over that edge. Or if you're struggling in Dominaria and then you figure out how to draft Dominaria, I think that will give you a big leg up towards more complex limited formats. One of the things that I think that speaks to that I think that I think Call Time spoke to that I think Kamigawa Neon Dynasty spoke to to a lesser extent, but but really Call Time is the the format that this reminds me of the most, where the common power level was largely flat and largely past the top, you know, in call time, we had about the top six commons that maybe quote unquote mattered or or pulled you towards doing things. And then past that, they were all contextual. I feel like maybe even more of the commons are contextual here. I'm letting higher rarity things dictate my draft. And I also feel like because of the diversity of things you can do, because of being able to sort of fall backwards into, you know, just multicolor kicker domain, good stuff that I've had drafts that have felt they have gone wonky in a way, but I've not train wrecked anything yet. I have always felt like I could backdoor my way into something, you know? You're fortunate then because I have train wrecked hard (laughs) a couple times. This is the most disoriented I have ever been in the middle of a draft at times. Like just like uh, almost decision paralysis because there are so many options. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I feel like we're talking about things too abstractly. We got to get into some specifics. So let's let's maybe start to frame the format, talk about some colors, talk about some big picture stuff. Okay. So this is the current best way I have to frame the format for folks that are maybe, you know, coming in for their first drafts, or maybe you've been drafting and struggling and not winning. I think the best way to frame this format is by what each color wants you to do or allows you to do from a game plan perspective. And I think that starts with the five cost reduction commons that really point you towards each color's plan. And I think for sure, the white, the blue, and the black ones are huge players in the format. I've played more since writing these show notes, and I'm way higher on the red one now, too. The green one is still dicey for me, but those are signposts for what the colors want to do. And then we'll get into why that's important in just a second. But for blue, you want to do spells decks with Talarian Terror. So that's the six and a blue for a five, five with ward two, and it costs one less to cast for each instant or sorcery in your graveyard. So blue decks with Talarian Terror can range anywhere from like blue, red, hyper aggro to, you know, blue, black, hyper control. But basically you want to be heavy blue spells Talarian Terror. All right, next up, we've got white, which is beat down slash go wide, highlighted by our Givian Phalanx. That's the five and a white four, four with vigilance. And it costs one less to cast for each creature you control. It's also a soldier. Guess what? Types kind of matter in this format. They do kind of matter in this format. <laughs> so red is ranging anywhere from aggressive beat down to domain beat down to domain control. And it does mm-hmm. all of those things pretty well. The 
red cost reduction creature doesn't quite point you towards all the domain stuff, but it does point you towards like large creatures beating down. So Molten Monstrosity, this is seven red for five, five trample that costs X less to cast where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. This one I think is less good than the white, the blue and the black, but significantly better than the green. And I don't think it's exactly a high pick yet, but when this costs three or four mana, which is not hard to do. It's just a very good card. I, I agree. I mean, the keyword big has been tough to deal with in this format. Shout out to our next card, which is the uh, black cost reduction creature, Writhing Necromast, which is six and a black for a five five with death touch, and it costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. I'm very excited. We are all lined up for our top three commons in black. And I think shout out to the number three that we'll talk about a little later that really like, I think even ties the room together for black more for me than writhing necromass, but we've got graveyard synergy and self mill control in black. Yeah. And this was the card that made the whole format click for me. Like my second or third draft, I ended up in this blue black control deck with a couple writhing necromasses, a Talarian terror. I had the monstrous war leech, which is the, the black, with kicker blue that has star star power equal to the greatest converted mana cost in your graveyard that we thought was kind of terrible in spoiler season. But the thing that we didn't adjust for was the fact that these cost reduction cards are just actively good. And once the cost reduction cards are actively good, then you're happy playing like six, seven, eight mana spells in your deck. And then all of a sudden monstrous war leech is a four mana seven, seven, you know, if you build your deck right around it. And I think and I think it is just absolutely awesome that as much as we've been playing limited and as much as we've been analyzing the formats ahead of time, that it's hard to see that these cost reduction cards were huge players. And they are just yeah. huge players in the format and things you actively want to be doing. That's very true. I mean, I think we can give ourselves a little bit of a break that we really like, you know, look at the full spoiler and then just like make snap judgments about it. We don't have time to let it like marinate it all for ourselves before we put out takes. And I will pat myself on the back that I said, hey, Monstrous War Leech is an uncommon. Maybe that points to it being an important piece of this puzzle. And I think it is. For sure. And then that takes us over to green, which is domain, beatdown, or control. Yavamaya Sojourner is the cost reduction card here. This is 7G for a 4-6 with domain, costs one less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. And I don't think this one, again, is a high pick, but it really clearly says green wants to be doing domain. And I think that is certainly true. And when it costs three, you're pretty happy with this card. The reason I don't think it's a super high pick is I think green domain decks just have better options everywhere. Like if you're playing all the colors, you can find better things to do than you have Maya Sojourner. I couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, so we've got these five cost reduction cards. And again, I think black, white, and blue, very important to what black, white, and blue are doing. Red, pretty good in red. Green, a little less so. But when you start to think about the format in terms of these five colors, it starts to be a little less overwhelming because you can steer towards one of the colors in the draft and then try to do that thing. Because like I said, in the drafts, the options and the decision trees that branch out can be completely overwhelming. So we've got these five colors. And I think the format is so deep and complex because there are so many variations of what each color wants to be doing. So I would contend that there's way closer to 20 color pairs than 10 in this set because each two color pair really has two versions of itself. If you're buying into this, like every color wants to do a thing depending on which color you're heavier in. So for example, there's blue-white, where you're heavy blue, which really wants Talarian Terrors and the spells things going on, and then just kind of uses the white spells to support the blue spells themes. Or there's blue-white, where you're heavy white, where you really want to be go-wide, Argivian Phalanx, and you use the blue spells to complement your white go-wide stuff. So if you think about every color pair that way, and it's not always true, like some are kind of always the same. So blue-green, for example, I think is domainy 
no matter whether you're heavy blue or heavy green, or if you are blue green, you're probably heavy green, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I also think like you have 20 color pairs here, but I have rarely, I don't even know if ever, because I foolishly don't have 17 lands installed on my laptop where I've been playing. I don't know how often I've been strictly two colors, you know, because of the abundance of colorless fixing, of green fixing, of the lands that you can draft, and all of the off-color kicker cards, which are obviously going to be something we talk about, all the powerful signpost on commons, of which there are two for each of the 10 color pairs, you're often touching at least a third color, or maybe you're splashing for kicker or splashing to increase some domain cards that you have in a two color deck, right? Like it's not often just strictly two colors. So the flavor of things, and maybe that's something that's not appealing to some folks of like, Ooh, it just feels like it's, it's bleeding, but it doesn't, it hasn't yet turned into just five color soup for me each draft. It's very much these like little tiny knobs that you're turning in each of your drafts to figure out, okay, am I blue, white splashing red for this? Or am I blue, white splashing black and doing a maybe slight defenders thing? Or am I going all in on defenders? Like there's just all of these different decision trees. Well, I think the splashing and the multicolor stuff is just one piece of the puzzle. I think those decks are there too. So I think there's like hyper streamlined two color decks There's two color decks that are splashing for kicker, like you said, and then there's domain that's usually like base two colors playing anywhere from two color domain beat down to like five color domain control. Like it's all there. But I mean, some of the Mm -hmm. color pairs really want to be focused, right? Like blue red spells wants to be streamlined blue red two color spells. Blue green probably splashing there. Black white like really wants to be focused black, white, or if you get the lands, like maybe you're peppering in some red for some like sacrifice stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's all there. Everything is there, which is what's so wild about this format and why it's going to be hard to give people fish. Like, I think that's one of the things we do really well on the podcast is like help people get better at magic. But we also are giving people fish. I think like quick, actionable advice to sit down to your draft, be excited to draft. Okay, I'm going to do this thing. That's going to be really difficult to do for this format. Well, I think maybe a good place to start is with what has shifted in our top common rankings. And that'll give us a bit of framework for like why cards are going down or up in the set. Yeah, awesome. That sounds like a great idea. Let's dive into white. In the number one slot, we've got take up the shield. This is one and a white for an instant. Target creature gets a plus one plus one counter and gains indestructible and lifelink until end of turn. Yeah, this card is awesome. It is exactly what we thought it was going to do. And I think kind of more like leaving the plus one plus one counter is huge. Lifelink is huge. I have definitely gotten to outplay and outmaneuver my opponents with this card um, and been blown out by it for sure. This card is awesome. Next up, we have Argivian Cavalier. This is two and a white for a 2-2 with Enlist, and it comes into play with a 1-1 token. Shout out to you. You pegged this last week, and this card has been outstanding. Card's very good and just does what whites want to do, which is beat down and go wide. And in the number three slot, we've got Argivian Phalanx. That's the cost reduction white creature, the five and a white for the 4-4 Vigi. Costs one less to cast for each creature you control on the battlefield. If you're building your deck right and well... This should cost one, two, or three. Or, I mean, and it's not bad when you, if you just go two drop, three drop, and drop this on turn four as well. And it's good. A couple things about just these top commons here. Argivian Phalanx is very good. It's the only one of those cycle of creatures that doesn't attack into the others, which is a mm. little odd. Like, it's a 4-4 four, four Vigilance. All the other cost reductions are 5-5s, five or the green one is a 4-6, which is part of the reason Take Up the Shield is so important to white decks, 
because you need your Argivian Phalanx to be able to attack into your opponent's 5-5 cost reduction creatures. And I think a notable exclude from our top three, you have this in our honorable mentions, is Citizen's Arrest. So this is the one white-white enchantment that comes into play and exiles a creature for as long as the enchantment remains on the battlefield. That was both of our top white commons last week and is out of the top three this week. And replacing it is Take Up the Shield. And that highlights for me one of the big things about this format. One of, I think, the big questions, something that's that's been going around on Twitter as well, has been the Discord of like initial questions that folks get, content creators get, like how fast or slow is the format? Is this a 17 land format? Do you like this format? Is it good? Like what's the best color? What's the best deck? And obviously those are, as Ben has said, people want those fish. They want actionable small pieces of advice, which we try to give. And I think one of the things that highlights a big question for me is, is removal good in this format? You know, we think about Crimson Vow removal is really important. And I think that's often just about the bombs, but also in something like Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, removal was good, but not important in the sense of like everything was a two for one. And so when you were trying to one for one with removal with these two for ones, you were often behind on cards. That sort of feels the case to me in this set where lots of things are two for ones with kicker, with draw card tacked onto a lot of things that removal, I think, is not, it's not that it's not important. Obviously, you need to interact with creatures, but there's also not those like super duper busto busto cheater rares that we've seen in some <laughs> some previous sets, right? Like the best rares are still beatable. And some of them are two for ones. And some of them can just be straight up one for one with. Um, but they're not like Lazel and they're not like the Hourglass Coven, at least the, the ones that I've interacted with so far. But so what I will say is that the removal then gets less important. And something like take up the shield and shore up in blue existing, that's a single blue hexproof plus almost one until end of turn and untap it. Those two cards blowing out removal and being such strong players in each of their respective colors makes removal worse. And so that's why I have Citizen's Arrest out. Lightning Strike is really the only removal spell that still feels a cut above the rest, even though it's not a two for one. And we'll talk about that when we get to red. Yeah, preach on all of that stuff. And I would also say too, removal is not synergistic. And this format is all about synergy or removal that is synergistic, like then is a cut above the rest, right? Lightning Strike is a spell in the blue red spells deck, which is why it also is still premium. So there's some amount of like, if I'm putting a removal spell in my slot in this deck, that's one less synergy slot I have. So yes, you're going to play the citizens arrest that you get, like probably pretty happily. They just aren't quite as high a picks as these other cards. Well, I think another removal spell that's very synergistic that's not even in your honorable mentions here is Bone Splinters. I've been drafting a lot of white-black sack, white-black splash red sack, Mardu sack, whatever. And Bone Splinters is always great in that deck because it does multiple things. I've got a 1-1 token lying around. It triggers sacrifice stuff for me, etc. So things like that, that's how you want to frame removal. So something like Extinguish the Light, that's just the straight up kill a thing. And then if it costs three or less, you gain three life. Yeah, sure, that's good. But it's not something that I'm like, ooh, I'm seeing that and that pulls me into black. There's also, man, there's so much to talk about, but there's also tension <laughs> so in this. so much to talk about. There's tension in this format with stuff that costs double colored pips. Because of the domain stuff that's happening, because of the the land drafting that happens, because of you wanting to cast off-color kicker, that double-colored costed cards uh, are not insignificant. Well, and or you can expect to get them a little later. Because if you are heavy white, like you don't need to spend high picks on the Citizen's Arrest because there's going to be fewer people that are heavier white if you're heavy white. And then you're going to get the Citizen's Arrest because the people that are doing the domain stuff... 
like can't take the citizen's arrest from you. Okay, so it's time to get to blue. And I would like to pick your brain a little bit on blue because the, the scuttle seems to be, certainly from you, that blue is head and shoulders above the rest of the colors. Is that true? I mean, that's a bit of hyperbole. Okay, I don't know okay. about I don't know about head and shoulders above the rest of the colors. I think blue is the best color for me by a noticeable margin, is the clearest, most truthful way I could state that without any hyperbole. All right, so talk to me about your top commons in blue. Top commons in blue. Number one, Tolarian Geyser. That's the tuna blue with kicker white. Return target creature to its owner's hand at sorcery speed, and if you kicked it for a white, you gain three life. That card is insane. The format is all about tempo in the gameplay, like leveraging tempo and mana advantage over your opponent to overwhelm them in a few key turns, and Tolarian Geyser is absolutely unfair at that it also plays super well with blue's number three common which is essence scatter one in a blue instant counter target creature spell that's again one of the best ways to leverage mana advantages over your opponent like domain decks that are trying to like ramp and cast big creatures just cry when they're playing against blue decks with essence scatter and then the number two blue common that is the piece de resistance for all of the blue decks is Talarian Terror, the cost reduction creature, the six blue five five ward two cost one less to cast for each instant or sorcery in your graveyard because it's great in the aggro decks, like coming down as a five five finisher that your opponent has to deal with after you've put all this pressure on their life total or in the control decks, you go kill your thing, kill your thing, two for one you, two for one you, two for one you. Okay, I have this Talarian Terror that costs one mana while I'm going to continue to hold up counter spells and then kill you with it. It just plays well at every end of the spectrum. And then past those top three commons, there's just a billion good blue cards that play offense well and defense well. And cards like that that are two-way players in this format are just irreplaceable. Yeah, so I want to talk about a few things here on this blue list. One is that Essence Scatter is really good. We liked it last week. I still like it this week, even though it's bumped down in the blue power rankings here for us. Because Essence Scatter is interaction that lets you one-for-one with things that will be two-for-ones or more if they hit the battlefield. So Scatter is great and just super cheap and efficient there. A next thing I want to shout out here is one of your honorable mentions, which is Phyrexian Espionage, which is two and a blue for the draw two cards, has kicker for one and a black, and if you kick it, your opponent discards a card. The kicker is just gravy on that. Divination is back with a vengeance. I thought Divination was going to be bad last week. It is not. We are back to old school Dominaria. I don't know how they do it, how they make a set that comes out four or five years later feel like that, where a card that we thought was outdated is still good, but it is. Even the black draw spell has impressed me. The two and a black, uh, you lose two life, and then and you look at the top X cards of your library where X is your domain, you pick two, put it into your hand, and then the rest go into your graveyard. I've liked that. Just two for one city is where you want to be. So Phyrexian Espionage is great there. Well, and you this is the same thing as original Dominaria. You can't miss land drops. Like you yes, have to yes. hit land drops. And Phyrexian Espionage helps you hit your land drops. So yeah, one of the coolest things about this format is that it feels like original Dominaria, except original Dominaria had like this huge card disparity problem. Yeah. And they fixed it. Like this color doesn't have that. Like everything's good and everything's viable. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Like there's so much to do. Yes, for sure. So here's here's the one thing that I'm not quite lost in the Tolarian geyser sauce just yet. And I know that's gonna be offensive to you. And I want wow, to just say I still, anything that says Tolarian in its title in this format is great. <laughs> so here here's the one one thing. And I have to imagine you've experienced this slightly, or maybe you can talk to me about why what I'm thinking is wrong. As you're playing best of one, you're playing against a lot of opponents who are, you know, more equal to your play skill that I have found Talarian Geyser to be effective against people who are not drafting the format correctly in my mind. Talarian Geyser, against things that are, like if you're drafting the cheap things with Kicker, if you're enabling these expensive cards that 
you know, you get the cost reductions for. I have not found Talarian Geyser to be a huge tempo play as a three mana bounce at sorcery speed. Like, I'm not saying it's bad. I like it a lot, but I am currently ahead on Essence Scatter myself. That's hard for me to wrap my brain around. I mean, Essence Scatter is very good too. Talarian, the tempo blowout from Talarian Geyser Anytime you landed on something that doesn't have an ETB is excellent because it's making your Talarian Terrors cheaper wallets setting your opponent behind. And mm-hmm. the, the way it plays with Essence Scatter where you can like blue kind of gets removal in that you can mm-hmm. geyser a creature and then know to hold up Essence Scatter because your opponent's going to try to replay it and like use those as a one two punch to get rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. And even things that have an ETB late in the game, if you've set up tempo, Sometimes it doesn't matter. Like you guys are their thing and they're seven, seven that gain them five life, but you're still, you know, cracking back for lethal if you've set up tempo appropriately. I, I just think tempo is so important and Talarian Geyser gives you the ability to create and leverage tempo. Luckily, you're using a word that no one knows the actual <laughs> definition to. So I can't argue your point. I have to just say you're right. No, um, I, Boom, I, I, I tempoed you out. <laughs> you tempoed me out. So good. Um, yeah, I, that makes sense to me. I think I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm working on small sample size. It's early days. I'm going to keep my eyes out. I have not felt like I've gotten a huge blowout myself with Geyser and vice versa. I have not often felt like when my opponent cast Geyser that it's been backbreaking for me. Okay. Uh, and other blue commons, diving them into. So we've got Phyrexian Espionage, Talus Lookout, 3-2 Flyer that like cantrips is fine. That's not even one of blue's like top six commons. Just like yeah, super solid. so good. It is so good still. Yeah. yeah. Impulse, just actively great in the format. Like we thought that was going to kind of be eh. But the fact that Essence Scatter is good means that you actively want Impulse so that if your opponents try to play around Essence Scatter, boom, you just dig four for whatever you want. You talked about Shore Up, Timely Interference, like thought that was going to be really one of the top, top commons. Not top common, but still very good. The cantripping minus one, minus O. There's just such a deep roster of commons that all play so well together in blue on offense or defense. Do you think some of those, I think like maybe impulse and timely interference, especially, I feel like those cards get better the more you're leaning into, the the, the harder you lean into blue itself, right? If Or blue red spells. If you're in blue green domain, I don't know if those cards are as high picks. Right. That's where we go back to framing the format as in what the colors want to do, right? Like blue's package is so self-contained in blue, like it is blue spells. And that's where I was talking about the decks, right? So like blue, white, if you're heavy blue, is blue spells with a white complement. If you're heavy white, it's white go wide with a blue complement, where a lot of these blue spells get worse if you're heavy white. And then if you're green, like green is the one color that doesn't play great with blue, but it does if you're heavy green. Like heavy green with blue support is great. Like heavy blue with green support is not really a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Next up, we have black, which I have liked a lot. It seems to be like on people's radar as potentially the worst color in the format. Not been my experience. We've got Phyrexian Rager in the top spot. Tuna black for the 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and lose a life. Number two, we've got Extinguish the Light. That's the two black, black instant destroy target creature Planeswalker. If it had mana value three or less, you gain three life. And shout out to number three, eerie soul tender this is two and a black for three one when it enters the battlefield you mill three and when it's in the graveyard you can pay four and a black to exile it from your graveyard to return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand this card is actively good 
in, I think, every black deck. Yes, it's the key to what black wants to do, right? It plus Rite mm-hmm. of Necromass is just like an awesome synergistic game plan and throwing a monstrous mm-hmm. war leech in there and you've got a real stew going. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's just so good in black white. It's so good in black red. It's like good to sacrifice. It trades up in those defensive decks. It attacks aggressively if your opponent doesn't have good blocking fodder for it. It's just so good. And then it gives you that clean two for one. It just hangs out in the graveyard saying, hey, as long as this game goes, the better this card gets. It's a synergistic clean two for one, too. And the awesome part about writhing Necromass with it is that late in the game, like all your eerie soul tenders are essentially six mana, five, five death touches, right? Because you have enough creatures in your graveyard that you can exile the soul tender, get back the Necromass, cast the Necromass for one mana, which is just awesome and actually makes it a real two for one instead of like this clunky two turn, like inefficient two for one, you know? Right, exactly. Well, and that's assuming that you don't have anything better than your common top end creature to get back. Right, sure, yes. Yeah. But just if you need something now, like oftentimes when you're exiling something for five mana, you can't double spell and you can like do that effect plus get the creature that you got back on the board if you need to block. For sure. And I don't know about Rager in the number one slot. I assume it's still there. Like it's been annoying to play against. I have not cast it much. It wouldn't shock me if Eerie Soul Tender were better than Rager. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that might end up being a kind of thing where like Soul Tender is quote unquote more important to what black decks do, but you never have to take it over Rager type of deal. It's hard for me to imagine Rager getting unseated. Right. Well, and then Writhing Necromass is super important, but people aren't picking that appropriately highly yet, which is why I haven't moved it up in my pick order yet. But honestly, like the rankings of these just doesn't matter because the format oh, is thank so God. synergistic. <laughs> <laughs> I was I did put in the show notes like insert Ethan's rant about pick orders and tier lists in this format like we're doing this I think as more a framing for the format but it's so hard to give you this as actionable advice because I, I cannot say that's enough your pick order is gonna have to get warped and get thrown out the window each and every draft you do of the set. But it's important to talk about these cards because these are the cards you should be on the lookout for and the ones that matter. And then just like knowing that they're good is important, but even the more important thing for the format is knowing how to leverage them like being good cards, why they're good and what options they open up for you in the draft. You know, Mm -hmm. I keep saying, you know, like (laughs) I expect you to refute me. (laughs) Oh, I thought, you know, is like as in, you know, I'm right. Yeah, you know, you have to. I I don't know. It's just like, I don't know why I keep saying it over and over. (laughs) So another black card that's really good. Just want to shout out tribute to Urborg is fine in black decks. And if you have the blue kicker, just actively great and primo in blue black control. It's fine. It's just removal. But blue black really wants to be classic control, I think. With like the Necromass Talarian Terror finishers? Right, but like is Tribute, like, I mean, it's in your honorable mentions and neither is Extinguish the Light, but like also you're gonna have stuff to sack to Bone Splinters and you're gonna have whatever, you're gonna have Counter Magic. I don't know. Like, I I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it's anything special. Yeah, I don't think it's anything special. I I, I do feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe this is like, I'm like, this is my one take that I wanna latch onto, but I really do (laughs) feel like, Removal is not what this format is about. Not, again, in a Neon Dynasty kind of way where it's like, you need removal in your deck, but there isn't removal except for the card we're about to talk about, I think, that is really like cut above the rest. What you're saying about removal being synergistic is 
honestly more important than anything. Yes, I agree with that take from you. I think the thing about Blue Black is that Blue Black has so many two for ones itself that you don't uh-huh. mind good one for one removal. Like that piece of the puzzle is important because you are a classic control deck. So I do think removal goes up specifically in Blue Black control. That makes sense. I have not drafted a lot of blue myself, I should say, or a lot of like clean two color blue decks. I think I've done a blue black deck once. A lot of my black decks have been, I, Mardu has just been like open for me and it's a style of deck I like to play a lot and like to draft a lot. So I've been doing that quite a bit. Next up, we've got red. And I do want to talk about lightning strike still in the number one spot and still in the number one spot in terms of commons overall for both of us, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, I think I'm still there with you. It's not quite as clear cut for me as it was, though, prior to playing with the cards. Like, I still think that's the best common, but it would not shock me if it were not the best best. But again, it doesn't matter because whatever you end up doing like shifts the pick orders so much that if you don't start in red, it's obviously not the best common for you, you know? There's a few things happening here. One, and I wrote this, I, so I wrote an article for CFB Pro about like, you know, some some really sweet rares to look out for that are on my no fly list, my no pass list for the format as a way to highlight some things that I had experienced about the set. And my honorable mentions included what I thought was the top uncommon, which is that Gravedigger variant, the white 2-3 lifelinker with black kicker and lightning strike here in red. And I said it wouldn't shock me if this was unseated in a few weeks, but it's you know where I think the top common is now. But I think what you're saying rings so true to me. If this doesn't end up being the top common, I think the top common doesn't matter. Like I think it just does. Like your drafts are not going to be dictated by commons, or they're not going to be dictated by single commons the way that an inspiring overseer dictates a draft, or even like a, a blessed hippogriff or whatever pre-nerf in uh, Alchemy Horizons. I think it's much more about piecing things together and making a deck that's greater than the sum of its parts, and knowing what sort of path you're going down. Down in terms of these 10 color pairs or even 20 color pairs as Ben is describing with everything doing multiple things. Well, and then there's even more than 20 color <laughs> pairs, right? Because there's the Defender deck. Like, yes, there's yes, so yes. many archetypes in this format. Color pairs are largely not a helpful way, I think, to frame the format. I mean, they are in a sense, but it does feel like we have to throw, throw out a lot of the rules book about how we frame limited sets with Dominar United, at least right now. I think part of that is us having rose-colored glasses and just being so excited about a set after a couple of dry spells. Um, but I think also just that this set is really sweet. The other thing I want to highlight here about Lightning Strike number one, and then I'll let you talk about the rest of the red commons here, is that lower in our show notes here, you have color rankings as blue number one, white number two, gap, and then green equal to black equal to red. You have red last, and that's where I would put red, and that's one of the knocks I have against Lightning Strike. So Lightning Strike gets a a bump, right, as a removal spell, even though it's one for one, because it is efficient, it is versatile, and it's synergistic, as you said, right, which makes up for its lack of card advantage. The rest of red feels largely contextual. It often feels kind of like Dominaria OG in that, you know, red was the worst color, but blue red was the best deck. We might be in the same spot here because your number two common, I think, is at its best in blue red. Yes. So Gitu Amplifier is the number two common and is essentially a blue red gold card. That's great. That's the one in a red one, two, whenever you cast an instant sorcery, gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. And if you kick it, um, it ETBs bounces a creature. Number three, Flowstone Infusion is the single red instant plus two minus mm-hmm. two to a creature. Just a great, cheap, efficient way to interact early. And then a bunch of honor mentions here. Keldon Strike Team. It's two and a red for the 3-1, and then you can kick it for one and a white. It's a 3-1. If you kicked it, it gives all your creatures that enter the battlefield this turn haste and makes two 1-1 tokens, so actually just brings a Strike Team along with it. That's Mm -hmm. super impressive in red-white. 
And also super impressive in red, white, back up to the top, white commons, honorable mention, heroic charge that we didn't talk about. It's two white, white, instant, plus two, plus one. And then if you kick it for a red, creatures you control get trample until end of turn. So red, white beatdown is absolutely a thing. And both those cards are huge players there. Marius Outrider gets an honorable mention in red. That's the four and a red for a four, four reach with domain. When it ETBs, it deals damage to your opponent equal to the number of lands you control. This is often, if you build your deck right, five mana, four, four reach, deal five to the opponent, which is very good in the stompy domain decks, which are absolutely a thing. And then Molten Monstrosity, which is the cost reduction creature, which again, in your red decks, I think if you're wanting to beat down, Molten Monstrosity is going to be a good card for you. Who who was that that tweeted? I think it was Ryan Overture. So it was like, am I doing limited right? And I think on turn three, he had cast a Scout the Wilderness and his hand was two lands and four Myria's Outriders with domain five. And I was like, oh, I guess that's a thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think to your point about red being the weakest color, I think that's where it is for me also if I had to choose. But again, it just doesn't particularly matter. And also, red is bonkers at uncommon, despite being a little weaker at common. So it's hard to say like when you factor in the uncommons, because like for the domain deck, red's uncommons are really good yes absolutely i agree well and that's that, the only thing that that lets me know is like one red commons aren't dictating my draft but i don't know if commons at all are dictating my draft and two it lets me know that i'm fine with red being a support color for red to be my main color in my two color decks or whatever my base two color decks it's got to be giving me something a, a little bit more special i do think the commons are really important in the draft i agree that like they aren't often the thing that are pointing you in a direction. But the most interesting part of the drafts to me are the drafts where you don't get powerful cards early. Like how can you take a set of commons to leave yourself open to the most possible decks so that when you do see powerful cards, because you're going to see powerful cards, that you have the ability to take them and latch onto them and start to push down whatever archetype it is. Yeah, per- perhaps my my verbiage here is not correct in terms of commons aren't going to dictate my draft. What I, I just mean by that is what you're saying. Like you're, I want, I'm going to see powerful cards that are going to give me a more firm direction. And so either I start with those cards and then let that sort of guide my way in terms of what common support, but the comments here, we're highlighting someone, we're ranking some, but they're all that, that shifts. We keep talking about pick orders shifting. That's shifting depending on are you starting with those busto cards? Well, then you're going to know which commons support that card better. Are you not and you want to try and leave yourself open? Well, then you're going to want to pick different commons that go into a more wide variety of decks, that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. Moving on to Green's top commons. Huge upset here. In the number one slot, I've got green dual land. How do you feel about that? I mean, I feel I feel fine. I need some I need some energy from you here, friend. Sir, I am I'm am I not giving you energy? I'm sweating right now. <laughs> I'm I'm as excited as I can be. All I'm saying is, are you excited about green X duels in the top common? Am I supposed to go, oh yeah, man, can't wait to pack one, pick one, a green duel? Like <laughs> I don't know. It's just no, surprising but- to me. Like just realizing that the greens commons were kind of mopey, I think, depending on what you're doing. And then if you're green, you have to be domain. And if you're domain, you really want the green X duels. Although sometimes like a random two color, not green duel is also super busted in the green domain deck. This is sort of where I want to, again, insert rant from Ethan about rankings not being super helpful in this format. It's just like, sure, green X duels are the top green common as a way to frame, hey, green wants to be domain. But that should just frame to you, hey, your first green common that you take is going to be largely contextual. Yes, that's true. All right. Fair point. I'm less excited now. Thanks for bringing me down. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, so here, I, you don't even have the card that I am most excited to talk about in green on any of your list here. Wait, whoa, we got to get to that in a second, but I'm going to get through the rest okay. of these cards. So number two, Sunbathing Root Walla. That's the one on a green for a 2-2. It has the activated ability 3G gets plus X plus X, where X is the, your domain. That card is a house. Threat of activation is huge. And then if your opponent ever decides to let it through, you just dome them for five, which also plays very well with Maria's Outrider, the red creature that domes. Um, so Sunbathing Root Walla is a huge part of the green Stompy deck. Speaking of the green Stompy domain deck, Gaia's Might, which is single green for the instant target creature gets plus X plus X, where X is equal to your domain. Plus five plus five. It's like Lava Axe that costs one in the domain decks. So that's awesome in the Stompy domain decks. Honestly, Vine Shaper Prodigy, I keep coming down and down on. I have that in the number three slot, and it might not even be in the top three green commons. It's 1G for the 2-2 with kicker one and a blue. You look at the top three and put one of them in your hand. That card has just been drastically underwhelming. Yeah, this is a really interesting point about the format that I have felt too. The thing about it that was so hard for me to wrap my head around once I started coming down on it, I was like, why isn't this that good? It's because the 2-2 body doesn't matter. And so on the, the flexibility of this card is sort of, and I'm sorry, G-Guards, that, that Tavern Swindler and Grizzly Bears are not good in this <laughs> format. But <laughs> Vine Shaper Prodigy as a 2-2 on turn two is mopey. It's not good. And the same thing happens is like, yeah, you get a quote unquote two for one when you kick it, but then you are left with a two, two on turn four. That doesn't matter. And that's the problem with a lot of these cheap cards is that, and and not to say that aggressive decks can't exist because they absolutely do, but mopey two mana two twos are not the thing that are either going to be good in your aggressive decks or good to combat the aggressive decks. Right. That's why I wonder about Phyrexian Rager, except Black has a lot more ways to use the random body than green does. For sure. Exactly. I think that's a really, really good point. Yeah. So Vine Shaper Prodigy going down in stock. And again, it's tempo negative, right? I cheer every time my opponents spend four mana to play Vine Shaper Prodigy and kick it. Well, exactly. But when everything is a two for one, right? Organ Hoarder was so special in Midnight Hunt because not everything got to do that. Most things get to be two for ones in this format in some way, shape or form. And so Vine Shaper Prodigy, you're like, okay, cool, whatever. I got plenty of those. Right. And then Fruitfarous Vine Wall, not a top green common, but when you want it, you really want it. That's the one in a green O2 defender that lets you look at the top six and pick a land, put it into your hand. Keep trying to get into defenders, which is a very real deck. Booyah, limited haters out there. It's a real deck. I, I've not been able to to get it to work yet. I keep uh, keep trying, but getting cut out of it. Oh, it's broken. <laughs> oh, I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I know. I, I definitely have, I've seen it. I've faced it. It's definitely very good. I'm not sold on Fleur of Hearst Vine Wall. It seems to have a similar problem, but I, I definitely could see Synergy pushing it over the top. All right. That takes us into color rankings, and you can just excuse yourself from this discussion. But like you mentioned earlier, blue, better than white, gap, green, black, red. And I'm not particularly jazzed about the order of green, black, and red. I do feel pretty good about blue being the best color. And I think the good news for the color rankings and your ranting is that, like we've said, everything is viable. But I think blue is the best because how deep its roster of commons are and how well they play with each other, as well as all of the other colors once you get deep into blue. Like if you get that heavy blue base, blue white's great, blue red's great, blue black's great. It's a little less interesting with green, but it's so flexible and it plays offense and defense so well. And I think white stands out as like hyper-focused, like white things really want to attack, really want to be aggressive, go wide, get your opponent dead. I think those two colors have like the clearest, most straightforward game plan and the best commons, which is why I think if you're struggling in the format, trying to get deep into blue or white is probably the best 
advice that we could give, like as far as giving you a fish, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll, and we'll get into those fish specifics because I think one of those is slightly misleading a little bit. So let's talk about the pillars of the format in terms of the decks. And we've sort of alluded to this already, but blue, the selling point for me about blue being the best color is how happy I am with all four of blue's color pairs. Not that I'm like unhappy with other color pairs, but I don't feel like I have to do work. Like if blue-red is open, Tempo aggro, great. Blue-black is open. Classic control with graveyard synergy, awesome. Blue-green domain, great. Feel good about that deck. And blue-white with different flavors. You can be heavier blue and be a more controlling spell-based deck. You can be heavier white and be more aggressive, backing that up with some tempo, etc. And then I think the next big pillar are the green domain decks, which can shift anywhere from beatdown to control. I think blue-green and red-green are the two strongest bases for domain mostly because I think green-white is better as heavy-white than it is heavy-domain. But as long as you're base green, like you can be green-X any color pair. I just think green-red is the most likely to be stompy. And then like green-white, green-blue, green-black, you're more likely to be on the mid-range, soupy control ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I have really liked green-white. And this is the green card I want to shout out that I've been impressed by is Scout the Wilderness. This is 200 green for the sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, put it into play tapped, and it has kicker for one on a white. And if you kick it, you get two 1-1 soldiers. The 1-1 soldiers are sneaky good in this format, I think. I don't know what your thoughts about these are so far, but the the soldiers hanging out from whatever, Argivian Cavalier, from this, from even the 3-1, etc. Like, whatever, you then you have two bodies around to tap for Raph. Then you have stuff to sacrifice to Bone Splinters or to your uh, Phyrexian Warhorse, etc. Like, I just think the little soldier tokens do so much in the format. And I think the green domain decks that play white are interested in both halves, either in, hey, this is a way for me to get closer towards five domain, or it also on turn five lets me get a couple chump blockers, things that can trade, etc. Yes, I've been okay with the card. I definitely buy the broader point you're making about the soldier tokens being great. Like random 1-1 bodies lying around are excellent because they're ways to leverage tempo. Maybe it's a chump block on a Telerian Terror or you know, something you're going to sacrifice to bone splinters. Like you said, the, the incidental one, one bodies are great in the best domain decks. I think you don't need to have scout the wilderness, if that makes sense. Like, because by the time you have five mana, you should be doing better things than kicking scout the wilderness. And you're not really happy doing that on turn three either to get yourself to five mana, unless you're on the controlling it. It's, it's definitely not as primo in the beatdown domain decks from my experience. You're not bringing me down. I love this card. <laughs> Nice, nice try, Ben. Good. I love it. <laughs> okay, so we got green domain, aggro or control, and then white base beat down go wide decks as a third huge pillar. Yeah, and I think a subsection of that, at least for me, I want to shout out the Mardu aristocrat sacrifice style decks based around the signpost uncommons, I think, a couple of which we'll talk about later on uh, in our six hour episode here that we're, we're, <laughs> we're working towards. So good. This format's so good. <laughs> and then the final pillar are the defender decks with Wingmantle yeah. Chaplain and Shieldwall Sentinel to go search it up. So Wingmantle Chaplain is the three and a white O3, and when it ETBs, you make a bird equal to number of defenders you control and that part i keep forgetting is that when you cast defenders it keeps after making, that it yeah. keeps making birds which is just absurd and then you have shield wall sentinel the four mana one three with defender that tutors up any defender when it etbs the defender deck is awesome and to everyone in the limited community that was being all hip about like ah defenders can't attack i don't know it about this so defenders deck. yeah yeah wing metal chaplain is real and it's awesome and yeah Booyah. Defenders is great. So in terms of gameplay, and I think we'll definitely want to highlight this 
in future episodes once we have a more solid grasp and figure out, you know, you and I are going to have to really put our heads together and like, okay, how do we package the things that we want to neatly in future episodes about this format? Gameplay being one of them. I have drafted some decks that I've ended the draft and gone, well, this didn't quite get there or whatever. And then I've still trophied because of my early format gameplay decisions, just being able to whatever best of three, partially like, oh, you played that sweeper, et cetera, or oh, I saw that combat trick from you in game one, and I'm going to play around it here. But just gameplay decisions are really, really important in this set for leveraging your cards, because there aren't often those like, oops, I win cards, right? You're not like landing your Lazels and your Hourglass Covens, or even just, oh, I got a bunch of inspiring overseers because people were asleep sleep at my draft table. Yes, completely agree. I think the biggest way to sum up the gameplay is if you played original Dominaria, the gameplay feels very similar to me. And I think if you didn't play that format, tempo, 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 double spelling, like keeping your opponent off balance, figuring out ways to leverage mana advantage was the best way to win. And I think yeah, and I, there's also a lot of decks that can just win through raw card quality as well. I don't want to sell that short. Like some domain decks oh, are sure. just like, okay, I'm playing way better cards than you on every turn of the game. I, I have found kicker to be really important too in terms of the value of your early drops. I've found that the person whose two drops can also do things later really pulls ahead if the game goes long. And I don't, it's weird because then you would think that I like Vine Shaper Prodigy, but that's not quite the card I'm thinking about. And again, maybe in, in future weeks, we'll give you a definitive list of like, hey, these are those cheap kicker cards that have been impressive. But a lot of times when the dust settles and you top deck your floriferous vine wall or you top deck your Ugh. two mana, you t- your two mana one three that filters mana. Ugh, stop. You're, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, it took it took one game of me doing that, of like top decking the two mana one three artifact where I was like, oh, this card is terrible. Never mind. Like you just need your two drops to matter later in the game i feel seen and i don't (laughs) like it (laughs) yeah that was painful to listen to but yeah i I complete agree on all that and that's why something uh, for example the two uncommon knights are so good like those are good two drops right because they're good early and they're relevant in the late game like relevant in the late game is a better way to frame it i think absolutely all right into navigating drafts because this is i think for me personally, like the gameplay is great. I think that is the single best part about this format is navigating the drafts and that the drafts are depending on your skill level in draft as complex as you want them to be. I think that's very cool that the complexity is in the draft and not like just words on the card. Like I think the cards are pretty elegantly straightforwardly designed, but lend themselves to providing tons of complexity and tons of decisions during the draft. Okay, so navigating drafts for me like have been overwhelming and disorienting at times, <laughs> I think, thanks to a ton of things going on. First of which there's a billion gold cards and a lot of cards with off-color kicker. There's a ton of different archetypes and how complex those archetypes are and the different kinds of synergies they want you to have drafting lands piece of the puzzle for the domain decks and for the good kicker cards like if you're blue red and you've got a rona's vortex and you have the chance to pick up an off-colored black duel like you probably want to do that but there's probably also another good card in the pack for you you know there's also spots i've found where you're anticipating splashes you know like if you're in white black or white blue or whatever and you think like oh am i going there are certain cards that i'm likely to want to touch so maybe i do pick up this dual land now to anticipate that. Yes, absolutely. And I think the thing that has stood out to me the most about this format, which is why I think it's an all-timer, I don't know if it is the actual GOAT yet. I'm not giving it the G and the O. It's it's four days. You got to chill with the GOAT. I'm I'm giving it the, uh, yeah, I'm no GOAT for me yet. I have not given it a GOAT yet. I'm giving it the A and the T. I'm giving it an all-timer. I feel pretty confident this is an all-timer. And I think 
the this is the reason. When you sit down to draft, like and you open your first pack, you look and there's like usually three to four doors you could go down. Like three to four reasonable cards to pick. You pick one. That's a good and that's a good set. <laughs> yes, a good set. And then you pick that card and then you look at your second pack. And then there's like three or four doors to go down that like combine well with your first card. And there's a couple other more powerful doors that don't combine so well with your first card. So maybe you go open one of those other doors. And then all of a sudden you've got like 15 doors that you can open in your third, fourth, and fifth packs. And like, depending on how straightforward your draft is, like the branching decision trees is gigantic. And you can also make picks with the intention of opening up decision tree branches for yourself if you're not seeing the premium cards early to try to give yourselves outs to hit the powerful uncommons because you're gonna see powerful uncommons during the draft. And I think the other reason this is very complex is there's a lot of cards that would be signals in a normal format, like gold uncommons and powerful cards with kicker. But a lot of them are false signals because there's so many good cards that like people can't take them all. And then like you end up if you just take good card, good card, good card, like you end up with a deck of good cards, but no play in. And that's a terrible place to be in this format. Yeah, I completely agree with that. This another thing that I didn't quite realize, not only for our our listeners or viewers of, of streams or YouTube videos, it's going to be really hard to you're going to see one person do something and then another streamer or YouTuber or podcaster that you like do something different. And then a third person you're going to see do something different and they can all be having success, but it's going to be really hard for you to like, look at that, look at the 17 lanes data and glean a cohesive picture of the format, I think. So I think it's going to be a lot more about like understanding the reasoning behind decisions rather than the decisions themselves. Yes, absolutely. And I think depending on your skill level as a drafter, like if you're honest with yourself and you're like, man, I'm somebody that's struggling in this format. I think you need to try to take options away from yourself Mm. almost in the draft. Like you need to really think about that. Here's these colors. Here's what this color wants to do. Like I want to be blue. I want to be blue spells. I see white cards. I want to be white. Go wide beat down. If you're an experienced drafter, sky's the limit for how you want to navigate these drafts, which is really exciting, I think. Yeah, for sure. So as far as advice to give for navigating drafts, I think draft blue, personally for me, is the best piece of easy advice because I think blue is versatile, powerful, plays very well with itself. You get a deep roster of commons. It's hard to get cut out of it. And then pairing other colors with it, all the blue color pairs go very well together. My one disclaimer here is I think this piece of advice is slightly deceptive since blues cards do different things well in different decks as outlined above. Yes, I think the the one exception, like blue, red, blue, black, blue, white are all spells based if you're heavy blue. I think blue green would be something to stay away from if you're heavy blue. That's fair. Good, good call. And then I think draft white is the second best piece of advice to give because it has such a clear plan. Like it's very focused. You're going to beat down. You're going to go wide. You're going to attack. You're going to use combat tricks. And it makes the gameplay a little more straightforward, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. This, I think for someone who doesn't draft a lot and wants quick, easy advice for Dom, this is what I would give you. Yeah. And I think past that, it gets way harder to give actionable advice because every draft is so unique because of how complex the drafts are. And I think it's awesome that this complexity comes in the draft and not the individual cards or the power level of the individual cards or the gameplay like it's in the draft to me so it sounds like 
your current plan, unless you get pushed in another direction, is to draft blue spells. You think that is, if uncontested, the best spot to be in. Yes, that's where I would prefer to be. But that's not the be-all, end-all. Like, there's plenty of other great ways to win. Like, you like the green domain stompy deck? Steer towards that. Like, I think if you're an experienced drafter, I think you need to have a clear plan for what you want to try to do. I think that's the best way to navigate the draft. So either go into a draft thinking... I want to try to steer into this if I can, because you probably can. Like it's like cube that way. And then it's kind of hard to get cut out of stuff. And even if you do get cut out, you can probably backdoor into a domain deck of some variety. And then I think also you could also just open up your pack one, pick one and see what's the most powerful card. I'm going to take that. Okay, I'm going to go down that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, and when I think we've done this in the past sometimes when we've had sets where we've, you know, split on picks. You know, we did the going deep episode of Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate, and we're like, here's how you navigate the draft responsibly. Here's how you draft it if you want to go deep. I think our draft navigations are going to be like that in that there are different decision trees, but it's less about like, here's what you do if you want to win. Here's what you do if you want to have fun. But it's more about here are the plans you need to know exist And here are the cards that support those plans. And what you want to do is up to you. Yes. Yes. I very much feel that that is how the format is for sure. And I think other thoughts that might add clarity to your drafts if you're struggling or just if you want some things to maybe frame the format, your deck has to have a clear plan and synergy. And I think domain decks are the closest to the pile of good cards decks. That's not true if you're domain stompy. Like domain stompy is very different from the domain five color soup, but all of it is drafting a deck. And I, I think the draft a deck, not cards, has never been more true than in this format. Yeah, for sure. A, a, a tier two archetype, if that even matters, that gets there all <laughs> sorry, that gets there all the way on a plan and synergy is way better than any sort of raw card quality you can come up with because just pile of good cards is not going to compete with pile that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes, we've not talked about the Defenders deck a ton. If you see Wingmantle Chaplain remotely early in the draft, that's the uncommon that makes the birds, you should take it and you should try to draft either a full-on Defender Synergy deck or a package that can tutor up Wingmantle Chaplain and make use of the birds. That card is bonkers powerful and it's very good. And the best package is somewhere in the Esper colors because you can get into a controlling shell in whatever white blue, blue black, even white black sometimes. And that's where you're going to have the biggest concentration of defenders because each of those colors has an uncommon defender and a common defender. And if you haven't done that deck yet, I think one mistake I made early on, especially if you have a lot of shield wall sentinels, you want to play 18 lands in that deck because you never run out of defenders or activated abilities of defenders. So I think erring on the side of hitting land drops is important. I lost some games to not hitting land drops before I put 18 lands in my deck. Yeah, I hear that. I think another good piece of advice, like we said, if you're thinking about the format as the five colors and what do they do, try to get deep into a base color and do whatever that color is asking you to do. I think that goes the best for you with blue, white, and green because those are the most obvious like blue spells, white beat down, green domain. Black and red, I think, are more complex decks to build still good like still very good they're just not as obviously handed to you if you're an experienced drafter it's very common i think to be deep into one color and then trying to decide on which synergies you want to go after in two or more other colors late into the draft i do think caveat there of that's when you start off with something powerful something worth holding on to i've definitely found myself much more bobbing and weaving when like my first few rares are duds yes for sure and i think cards that play well in a variety of situations 
positions and archetypes are premium during the draft because if you want to open up those decision trees, those are the cards that let you do it. Agreed. All right. There you have it. Foolproof advice. This format is going to be so hard to teach people about. I think, but I think we're up to the challenge. I think we're up to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I am completely energized about getting to talk about, teach, and podcast about this format. All right. So let's let's finish things out here with a quick rundown of some other cards that weren't quite in our top commons or honorable mentions, perhaps they're uncommons or whatever, that we still want to talk about before uh, before we wrap things up. Yeah, first up, Stall for Time. This is two and a white instant, tap two creatures, draw a card. If you kick it for one and a blue, they each get a stun counter. That card's not that good. It's moved down for me. Like you'll play it, but it is not premium. It's just awkward on both parts of the curve. I don't think that blue white at its best cares about this card that much. So yeah, I agree with that. A card that has really impressed me is Phyrexian Warhorse. As I've said, I've played a lot of black white. This is three and a black for the three, three. It has kicker for a white. If you kick it, it comes into play with a one, one soldier token and you can pay one to sacrifice another creature to give it plus two plus one until end of turn. There's also red, black, steel and sack. I, that happened to me this morning and I was outraged. Like there's so much <laughs> going on in this format that I haven't even put together that there's this black as a colorless sack outlet and then the red active treason. Yeah, for sure. I have not prioritized that because I it costs four mana and like I feel like my four drop slot gets glutted so hard with more important cards, but I can believe it for sure. But think about how wild that is in this format that that's there and that like it's like not even secondary. It's like tertiary synergies maybe even like less than that yeah yeah for sure format is deep <laughs> Herborg repossessions up next that's the black sorcery that has kicker one and a green uh, return target creature from your graveyard to your hand you gain two life if you kicked it you get a second creature or permanent which has yeah. been huge for buying back like primo sagas or planeswalkers yeah really good uh, i think it's super important in the black self mill decks and a single copy goes a long way in domain decks also uh, next up, we have some medium green fixers here. Or I already talked about Scout the Wilderness being a card I'm a huge fan of, but Deathbloom Gardener has been whatever. That's the two and a green one, one death touch taps for a man of any color. It's just a little too overcosted, I think. Yeah, you really want the lands in the green domain decks. Mm-hmm. All right, Salvage Mana Worker, we've talked about fine, nothing special. You'll know when you need it, and it's a, it's definitely a have-to-play-it type of thing. You were right about that card. Huge point for you. That's a two mana, one, three artifact, and you can pay a mana to add a mana of any color. So it filters lands. Yeah, it's just just too underwhelming when you top deck it. Uh, yep. We talked about the wall deck and shield wall sentinel being premium. Jin of the Fountain. This is a really interesting card here. This is four blue, blue for a four, four with flying. Whenever you cast an instant sorcery, you can choose one. You can scry one. You can give a plus one, plus one until end of turn, or you can exile it and return it to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. It's not that impressive. It's worse than Telerian Terror. The the real awkward thing about this is that it doesn't actually cost six, right? Because to maximize it, you really want to cast it and hold up a one mana instant to be able to protect it. It's just so expensive. Right. It's a problem if it's on the battlefield, but it's hard to get it on the battlefield and get it to stick. Yeah, it's a problem if it's on the battlefield and you have untapped mana, right? Yes. You have a way to protect it. But if you tap out for it, it's like, mm, fingers crossed. Yeah. I think you're just better off drafting Tolarian Terrors, which was not obvious to me initially. Shout out to you on Fires of Victory. This is the one on a red instant, deals damage to a creature equal to the number of cards in your hand, and has kicker for two and a blue. And if you kick it, you draw a card. This is basically Prophetic Bolt. It is. It took me a second to realize that. Honestly, Alex talking about it was what made me realize Ooh. that. Like, I thought it was a good card. Yeah, I thought it was a good removal spell that wasn't quite as good as Lightning Strike, but I hadn't quite put together that it was a two for one for some reason from the way it was worded. It's very strong. It's better than Lightning Strike, right? Mm, 
maybe i mean because early early in the game it does the same thing and late in the game i mean it can't go face but i'll take draw a card over that all day yeah it's it's very good regardless and it keeps wheeling a lot for me for some reasons i think because people have the same reaction to it i did i don't know it's very good a couple awesome domain cards one is nishaba brawler this is the uncommon one in a green star three and its power is equal to your domain oh and it's got trample. This card is <laughs> very powerful. Like th- there's something interesting that we'll talk about. I think maybe we'll classify some of these cards later, but there are basically three classes of domain cards in my mind. One is cards that like, it just doesn't matter. You can play them in two color decks. Then there are cards that are in the three to four range and that's their sweet spot. And then there are cards that there's actually a difference of you getting to all five. And this is in that, and the, the best domain cards I think are the ones that are in that sweet spot. because. Getting to all five is sometimes a chore, but three or four is often trivial. This as a 3-3 or greater trampler for two mana is awesome. And I think another way that you need to classify the domain cards is good in domain control, good in domain aggro, or good in both. Like, And Neshoba Brawler is one that is good in both because those are two very different decks and knowing which one you are is super important when you're drafting the domain decks. Speaking of good in both, but I think better in beatdown is Weatherseed Treaty. This is the Uncommon Saga. And oh my God, we haven't even, <laughs> what are we, an hour and 15 in? We haven't talked about how great Read Ahead is. Like, oh yeah. I'm obsessed with Read Ahead <laughs> because my opponents keep misplaying. I keep going, oh, you're, oh, you're going to start that on chapter two. Oh, you're going to just go straight to chapter three. And then they're like, chapter one, find a land. I'm like, what are you doing? But so Weather Sheet Treaty lets you search up a basic land for chapter one. Chapter two, you make a one, one sapperling. And chapter three is uh, target creature gets plus X, plus X and trample until end of turn where X is your domain. Card is incredible if you're drafting domain. Incredible in aggro. Great in the control version still. Great to get back with Urborg repossession. Just all-star card. Does it all. Walking Bulwark is another premium card for the defender archetype. That's the one mana uncommon 03 that you can pay two mana to animate a defender and it deals damage equal to its toughness. And last on the list I have is Elos Ilkor Sadistic Pilgrim. This is white black for a 2-2 with death touch. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And whenever another creature you control dies, each opponent loses a life. This card is an absolute house in the black-white aggro decks or Mardu sack decks or any flavor there of. We'll talk about those decks in the future for sure. I've loved them and really like a lot of the uncommons in those decks. Boom. All right, there you have it. That's the end of our show notes. Not the end of my thoughts on this format, though. I could <laughs> talk about this format for forever. So you already woke up and streamed before we recorded. Are you going to stream after? Oh, absolutely. I have played this format off stream in addition to how much I have streamed it. <laughs> I've been playing this format every second I can. It's so, so fun. So if you weren't hot on this format, I have to imagine after an hour plus of listening to us beam about it that you might uh, you might go fire up a draft yourself. Yeah. And I think the episodes in the coming weeks for how we're going to you know frame the format, give you strategies to employ in the format are going to be bangers as well. So stay tuned for more from Lords of Limited. And I would say, Ben's about to shout out a bunch of ways you can get in touch with us. Get in touch with us. If you're on our Discord, message us. If you're on Twitter, get in touch with us. If you go to our website, contact us. Let us know, hey, these are the things I'm struggling with. I would love you guys to talk about X. Give us some fodder because as we said, I think it's going to be a really fun puzzle for us to solve of like, how do we present actionable advice for folks in the coming weeks? I mean, next week has to be just logs and like talking through how the logs, like the decision trees branch out. I think that is by far the most helpful thing we're going to be able to do. For sure. All right. Great place to 
end the episode. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, which you absolutely should, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome, Mr. Spelled Out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at Lords of Limited at Gmail. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Hang on one second. I want to go back to herbivore repossession. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I know you're a fan of loops, Ethan. Also, have you seen the the Vidalian blue black looter loops with herbivore repossession? Oh, my gosh. I have not. Wait, that card doesn't exile itself. Does it? I don't think so. Does it? Vidalian sack it. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. You can't loop. You can't loop. Spell. Yeah. Never mind. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a blooper. (laughs) 